When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com It's the Collectors Club with Bryce, Michael, and Ivy. I know a story of high strangeness or two. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history, not this week, and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host. What's up, Club Scouts? Bryce Johnson here. And our super producer, Riley Bray. Riley, you look like you're like chilling, crisscross applesauce style, like in your friend's like basement, like after a show, like after doing like a theater production and you guys are all getting around, (laughs) hanging around, eating Doritos and thinking about who you're going to kiss. That's pretty accurate, actually. That's pretty much exactly what's going on right now. So, yeah. (laughs) I just I just see like a couch and a TV behind you, like over your shoulders. You just look like. You're real. Mm-hmm. I'll say this: you're you've, you're bringing real slumber boy special energy. <laughs> just I'm at not somebody's Christmas. parents' house, just uh, like you know. the old slumber boy special, <laughs> sneaking beer from the fridge in the garage. You know. Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> One time, so good. I remember I had just gotten home for spring break. This is when I was like away at boarding school, and I came home. And I was hanging out with my friends, and we snuck a bunch of booze down into uh, his his basement. His mom was home, but she went to bed early. And we yes. all spent the night. And I remember drinking so much vodka. And I had oh. I had I was getting over mono. And oh, no. I drank so much vodka and then was like double fisting cigarettes in the backyard. <sighs> Stayed up with oh. everybody until like four in the morning. My dream. Went to bed, went to bed, woke <laughs> up, woke up at like six, 
puked just pure bile just puked like pure <laughs> sorry everybody this yeah is... welcome to yeah. Cultures i gotta tell you what we're gonna get into weird liquids in this story today so you might as well get used to it might as well start with michael's yeah, warm yeah. Them up. and then i remember looking in the mirror just being like looking like i was on death's door i was like yellow i was like wait why did i drink all this on mono and then i drove home that morning and my mom took one look at me and she's like what happened to you and i was like <laughs> and i was like i don't know i feel like i got God. sick again and then i went i went and lay down in bed and i could hear my mom asking my sister like how old is how old is Micah? Is he all, all old enough to get me? Like she was like, I was totally like busted, but <laughs> thankfully yeah. I lived in a family that didn't want to ask tough questions. And there uh, you go. Oh, I just lay, slept it off, slept it off Did, that day. <laughs> let me ask you guys. I was in a family that I mean, my wife and I complain about this. Neither of our folks ever once mentioned we never had, they never had a fucking sex talk, a booze talk, a drug talk. So I ended up doing all fucking three. It was like, you know, <laughs> a, a little warning would have been nice, you know? Wait, yeah. you told your parents about sex, drugs, and everything else? No, I no. Looking back, like they never once had like a a preamble warning of like, "Hey, watch out for booze, or watch out for drugs, or watch out for women." You know? No. Uh, all those women, so- they'll come and get you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my dad had me. My dad told me to watch out for women. That's for sure. But uh, but no, they never. That's because he was bitterly divorced. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, I had. But, uh, I think we all had a similar upbringing there, where they just <laughs> you know booze, drugs, and women. Michael. Yeah. That is but the advice I, you would get from your divorced father who lived in Reno. That is oh my exactly. God. No, but that's what you're saying. He didn't get it. He needed. Oh, he no, needed I, the, I, uh, I, I didn't get the birds the... and the bees. I didn't get the watch out for the the weed and the booze. I didn't get any of that good good parental advice. And I'm doling. I'm. We're gonna dole it out to our kids. It's coming that's early, good. man. Yeah, it's gonna be like, hey, watch out. <laughs> like, yeah, shit is coming shit it's is gonna get coming. weird fast yeah, yeah. it's gonna I, get weird fast again this all will sort of pertain to today's episode uh i i remember i asked my mom where babies come from and when she she responded with where do you think babies come from and i said well i think I think that when a woman is ready to have a baby, then two little aliens fly down. I remember going specifically. I said two little aliens fly down and they put a baby in the mom's stomach. And then I heard oh my, my sister God. laughing because she was spying on the conversation on the other side. That of the does door. relate to tonight's story. Holy cow. Yes. It certainly does. You were um, destined to have a paranormal podcast by that yeah. story. I can yeah. still. I didn't know if I really believed it. I was just trying to answer her creatively, you know, just Uh to break the ice. You know what I mean? Kind of what we're doing right now before we get into the serious stuff. Um, But yeah, I remember my sister laughing and running away from the door. And then my mom told me about sex and I was disgusted. Uh, (laughs) She made it sound very clinical and didn't know it was supposed to be fun until I watched an episode of Moonlighting and my dad got mad and made me and my sister turn it off when two people were having sex in the cold open. And I was like, why are those hot people trying to have a baby? They don't seem like they're married. (laughs) I think I learned about sex from this. It was this next door neighbor in Reno and he had like a Playboy and the, the pages were torn and placed in a trapper key 
gatekeeper binder with like the laminated page sleeves. <laughs> like, yes. And he would like, he would like turn them those, over. Like they were baseball really cards. Easy. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, what is this? Anyway. Wow. And then he ate a stink bug. So what a fucking oh. guy. Yeah. What a ledge. What a total ledge. Total <laughs> ledge. Was this the kid uh, who lived next door to Buzz and Woody in Toy Story? <laughs> yeah. Very similar. Very similar indeed. But anyway. Uh, all right. Well, boys, girls, non-binary friends, we are headed back into a deep dive discussion. I'll tell you what. I have been consuming nonstop alien gray matter for the past three or four weeks now, and it really didn't help that we did that episode of Adela Levine's podcast where she basically told me that the grays were my Pennywise, that they uh-huh. were <laughs> that they were they've been following me my whole life. Because mm-hmm. during the we're talking about the abduction of Betty Andreas, and and during researching this, there were multiple times I was reading the book, writing stuff, doing research, and then just like, I bet you $10 if I just look look to my left or look to my right, there's going to be an alien gray standing there. Like, I was ready. I've been ready for these fuckers to pop up in my life again. Uh, thankfully, they have not. And again, they are not, I do not give consent. They are not invited. So I will say it now. And I <laughs> will say ve- it. You've I been very clear about that. Yes. 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 To our alien gray audience. Yeah. They're not allowed to peek in my windows. They're not allowed to put a hand on my shoulder casually as I'm flipping through uh, a 400 page book on an alien abduction. It's not happening. <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> So uh, I just want to remind everybody if you're or I should give you a heads up if you're if you're new to this podcast and you've listened to these seven minutes and haven't turned it off already, I would (laughs) I would we would suggest you go back and listen to last week's episode, then come back and listen to this, because this is part two of the abduction of Betty Andreasen. Uh, I want to mm. remind everybody that the primary source for this week's story is the Andreasen Affair by Raymond E. Fowler. Uh, yeah. You can get it on uh, Amazon.com or go to your local bookstore and order it. I would recommend doing so if you want to learn more about the case. All right. You boys yeah, ready to do it? Now, now, Riley. Sorry. Sorry, Bryce. Go ahead. And I was going to say, you know, speaking of the case, there's really not that many uh abduction cases where the 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 actual people have gone public and 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 written and authorized books about their experiences so this this one is legend you know yeah good point and like we mentioned last week it is uh noted for its high content of high strangeness all of which we're really going to get to in the body of this episode and because so much was mined no pun intended, from the hypnosis regression sessions of Betty and also her daughter, Becky, but mostly Betty. And so the story that we're telling in these two episodes is really the linear narrative of the stuff that came out during these hypnosis regression sessions. And again, this is all back in the late 60s. Well, it happened in 1967, and then the regression sessions didn't happen until 10 years later. Yeah. And when you're reading this stuff and you're researching this What happens is because they'll revisit the same stuff over the course of a few hypnosis sessions. So like the first time they walk through something, Betty might give a little bit of detail and then they'll go back 
you know, they go back like a couple of days later and, and dig a little deeper and dig a little deeper. So sometimes when you're reading these stories and these books and these sessions, like it kind of loops around on itself and you're like, oh, this little bit of information she had the first time around, she's got more detail the the deeper they dig, right? So it's a really mm. interesting way to, especially because the book is mostly transcripts of those sessions. If you're curious what those might be like or how they were conducted in the 70s during like prime ufology, uh, you know, the whole you go, go, you go get regressed, like this is prime era of that. So it's also just fun to read as a transcription. All right, so let's get into it. This is Betty Andreessen, part two. When we last left Betty Andreessen, she had just been taken aboard an alien craft that landed or appeared on the hillside of her backyard of her Massachusetts home in January of 1967. Her captors, three alien greys led by a slightly taller grey calling himself Quasga, had just led the mother of seven into a bright dome-shaped examination room. So, Betty had just changed into her puffy white garment she found floating in a small changing room, taken to the examination room where Quasga had just entered. Remember, at this point in her experience, Betty's movement is restricted, which is odd because if the beings were controlling her actions, I'm not sure why they needed to prompt her into changing out of her clothes and into a medical gown. I, I'm really not sure what the rules are or where these interdimensional kidnappers do the line of consent. It's very strange. Quasga's um, rules. Quasga. Yeah, they have, they have no problem breaking and entering, uh, freezing her children and family in suspended anim animation, controlling her body to get on a ship. Mm -hmm, but the mm -hmm. moment they're like, can you change into this? They like give her privacy. <laughs> Look, they have, you know, they have standards. You know, I, I, guess that's, I guess that's what it is. <laughs> At any rate, Betty's fears began to rise as she was floated up into, onto a rectangular block. Now, Betty recounted all of these events under hypnosis regression. And, and this part, during this part of the story, Raymond E. Fowler, the author of The Andreasen Affair, uh, noted that this part was, quote, one of the most emotional packed portions of the case. So digging into the examination and what came next, this was like three or four sessions they went back to, and it constantly left Betty exhausted. Mm. But in the moment as she relived it, Betty was surrounded by a small number of alien entities, and she thinks they're the same group. There weren't like new alien doctors. This all seemed to be conducted by the same four alien greys. But here in the exam room, they were dressed in silver jumpsuits and their skin glowed white, much lighter than the grayish clay-like skin that she had noted earlier. Possibly, she thought, due to the bright white light that seemed to come from everywhere as opposed to just one source. So this whole dome is just lit up like a... Um, like an Apple commercial from from the from the early two thousands. <laughs> yeah, perfect analogy. So <laughs> yes, I, I get exactly what you're saying there. So Betty turns to Quasga or looks over to him in her restricted movement and says, "What are you going to do, Quasga? Just measure you for the light. That's what you're going to do. Measure me for light. We're going to measure you for light." Waska pulled out a small wand with a head 
with a head that looked like a tulip blossom at the tip and waved it over Betty's body, saying, You have not understood the word that you have. You've misunderstood some places. There are spots there from it. You are not completely filled with light. Okay, so this is like how Ooh. these guys are talking to Betty during this whole thing. They're kind of riddle. They're vague. It sounds like they're saying something, but when you start to unpack it, they're kind of not saying anything. Totally. <laughs> sort of yeah, like that's, that's half of my, soup right there. my yeah. opinions on this podcast. This sounds like a hippie from Topanga Canyon just like chatting me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they're very cyclical in the way that they speak like she'll ask a question and be like because we need to and she's like but why because we need to do it you know it's that sort of parental mm-hmm. because i told you so stuff without getting any real answers here yeah. so wire needles emerged from the walls they were long needles attached to bendy uh like uh, like dr octopus like thin dr octopus arms and one of the greys inserted a long needle up Betty's left nostril and into Ooh. her head, which where she felt a slight pop as it punctured tissue or a membrane deep within. The sensation Yikes. was obviously very painful. It hurt, but then Quasga waved his hand over Betty's forehead and the pain suddenly vanished. According to Betty, her captors told her that they were awakening something within her. Throughout the process, Betty kept asking why she had to undergo this exam, and the beings would relate that the procedure was important, but never fully explained why. With the needle still inserted up her nose, one of the beings approached and unscrolled a long roll of tan, mesh-like paper about the size and width of a toilet paper roll. It and another gray looked over the web-like parchment as a doctor might look over a patient's medical records. And after a quick review, they pulled the needle out of her nose, and Betty was startled to see a small implant on the tip of the needle, a tiny ball with spikes on it. What? So they were taking something out of her nose, not putting something in. That was the question. She was already a, a tagged being, maybe, you know? That's what that's what it seems to imply. And Fowler and uh, the investigators, Edelstein, they were all like, do you remember them? Was that thing on there when they put the, me- the needle up your nose? She was like, it definitely was not. I don't know what Ooh. it is, but it, it pulled something out of my nose. God, so Whoa. weird. Yeah. The aliens stepped away to deliberate and then returned and told Betty that they needed to measure her for procreation. Uh-oh. Another long bendy needle was inserted into Betty's navel. They stated that Betty was missing something. Betty figured they must have been referring to her hysterectomy, which Betty had undergone after their youngest daughter Cindy's birth. Cindy was the three-year-old. Jeez, so and she, Whoa. They were like, she says in this part, she's like, I can really... And I'm sorry, everybody. This is cringy. She's like, I can really feel them digging around down there. <laughs> like this yeah. needle was like through her navel. And she was like, they are looking around. So After- this is like a 90s X-Files, like alien human hybrid situation. That's what 100- we're talking. Well, we, as you'll see, as the story goes, we never really get there. But they did seem to be alarmed that her uterus was gone. You know what I mean? And so obviously 
I'm going to say, this is just me inserting speculation here. This doesn't come from mm -hmm. the book. That would say to me that it's been at least, if she has been abducted before, and there is some, there, there are some hints that she might have been abducted on and on her whole life at the end of the book, which we're honestly not going to get too much into in this episode because I really just wanted to focus on this story um, mm -hmm. of this particular uh, event. That would that would that would imply that they hadn't at least taken her since her last child was born, because I right. guess after Cindy was born, there were complications and she had to have an emergency hysterectomy. Um, so there you go. Wow. So strange, man. So after the needle from her navel was removed, Betty noted that Quasca seemed concerned. He told her they needed to run a few more tests. A large mechanical eye or scope made from plastic and glass descended from the ceiling and pressed against Betty's midsection. Now this part, she said it didn't hurt. And to me, this sounds like some type of X-ray or scan or ultrasound. Yeah. Um, but it also reminds me of the uh, Pascagoula alien abduction where the two fishermen were brought into the football ship that looked like an old Nerf football. And they talked about a eye-shaped thing coming out of the wall and scanning them. Excuse me, Calvin Parker, and I always forget the other guy's name, Bryce. I don't know if you can pull it out, but Ooh, geez, there was a no. similar thing in that case. And that I think was in 1969. So there's a precedent for this type of apparatus being mm -hmm. involved in these alien abduction cases. After the yeah, eye mechanism, what was what was the other guy's name, Bryce? Oh, uh, sorry, I was. Uh, oh, I thought you I, were. No, I'm just going through that uh, uh, some literature. Something Harris, right? Calvin Parker. Yeah, that sounds. I think there was Parker and Harris are the last names. Yep. Yeah. Ray Parker Jr. Um. <clears throat> here i'll look so it up hold on yeah yeah find out let me know after the eye mechanism completed its unknown task quasga waved his hands over betty a process which she described sending a wave of calmness flushing through her body she was then levitated off the table by the beings and floated to a standing position at the opening of a doorway then she was taken back into the cleansing room where she was doused by light, uh, which we talked about in the last episode, and back into her changing room where she was then instructed to put on her civilian clothes. I'm getting dressed and I put the garment down on the floor and the garment seems to sort of stick somehow to the stuff there, stick. Although it didn't feel sticky on me, but it, it seems like it sticks there. And I'm, I'm still getting dressed and I'm wondering what? they are going to put me through next. After putting her clothes back on, Benny knocked on the changing room door and told the beings she was ready to come out. The door whooshed open and two greys hovered towards her where they would proceed to take Betty on one of the strangest trips documented in the history of high strangeness. Mm. Oh boy, all right. Love collecting things? Time to add Goat Guns miniature models. These gun models are one-third to scale and one-tenth the cost of the real thing. These little bad boys are four to 11 inches in length. 
and weigh up to one full pound. Build, collect, and customize your Goat Guns collection with attachments. Build your dream collection at GoatGuns.com. Bryce, I see um, some pages turning there and some Googling happening. Do you have some names for me? Yeah, so the Pascagoula abduction. That was in 1973, actually, and the, okay. the gentleman involved was Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker. There you go, Charles Hickson. And a few years later than I thought it was. Guys, I can't keep all this information in my head, okay? I'm trying to cram as much in here as possible as it is. Listen, you're doing great, buddy. You just keep going. All we're right, fact-checking we'll get... in real time here. This is fantastic. This is where I will say, smoke them if you got them, everybody. The beings <laughs> took Betty... And brought her back to the room where the lightning fork elevator tube had spat her out before the examination in last week's episode. A new doorway suddenly opened, and the greys floated Betty into a long, dark tunnel that Betty described looking like a subway system. In this room, Betty noticed that they were floating along a black, plastic-appearing, moving track that ran beneath her feet that was about nine inches wide, not touching the track, but as Betty put it, skimming along the surface of it. Now this wow. track is gonna be a main feature for the rest of the story. So I want everyone to picture this. It's like a little, it's like a miniature version of those uh, people movers at, at, on, the airport. at the airport. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you're not standing on it, you're hovering over it. But she said that the sensation made her arms and her legs and sometimes her head felt very heavy and weighed down she thought it was as a safety precaution so she wouldn't slide or fall off this thing so i don't know if it's some sort of magnetism if right. it's some sort of thing that the it's, it works in conjuncture with the telekinesis of the aliens being able to move her around but she talks about it throughout and i i didn't I'm bringing it up now. And then on the speakers, she... it's like, remain seated, please. Keep your hands and arms inside the tract at all times. Because this whole time, she'll break every few minutes in these sessions and talk about how heavy her neck might feel or her feet feel and how it's very uncomfortable. Weird. Weird. Yeah, really weird. So they're running along that track. And at this point, you might also be wondering, how big is this fucking ship, right? And yeah. Betty told her investigators under hypnosis uh, that at this point, she felt as if she was no longer inside the craft. She was now someplace else. And I don't know when and where this ship took off and flew someplace else. I don't know when in any of this that happened. But now we seem to be entering another dimension. Either the ship went there and we don't, we can't account for the time that it went there, or the ship itself is a gateway to some sort of other dimension. Yeah, I want to talk about that because that's sort of a perplexing phenomena about this uh, UFO uh, abduction thing. Is you know, whenever these you know, abductees enter the ship what they think is this ship. It always seems to be much larger in space uh, than, than what it appeared. TARDIS uh, rules. The, yeah, from the, mm -hmm. ex, from the exterior, you know, and I've, I've heard a couple 
theorists uh, ha- have some ideas about that, the sort of this layering dimension theory. In other words, so I'm holding this uh, a chapstick, right? Mm-hmm. Now, at the bottom of the chapstick, all you see is a two-dimensional circle, right? This could represent right. the UFO. And once the occupant goes up in it, what they're doing is they're actually entering another dimension, which they can't see from our two-dimensional, three-dimensional plane. But once right. they enter that, so the ship is really just a gateway, an yeah. entrance point. And once, right. and once they're inside this little, you know, what looks like a flat circular thing, boom, it can expand into who knows uh, the layering that can go on in, in, in that you know, or the space. structure or shape or of the structure. What, sure. You know, if the UFO is just the tip dipping into the third dimension. Yeah. Once you walk in there, you might be in a <laughs> just massive dip in the tip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Guys, that's what aliens do. You know what I mean? They show us just that's the tip. a shadow bat song. It's just just dip the tip. In the tip. <laughs> yeah. And then you like enter some sort of uh, interdimensional time structure. Like, right. Through, yeah. Uh, and it, three-dimensional thing. I think like so, to, man. To the chapstick well, analogy, yeah. Now get, re- get ready because it's going to get even weirder. So she's no longer inside the craft and the the um, eventually at the end of this long, dark tunnel, she sees a light. And the passage on this little treadmill leads Betty and the Greys into a brightly lit, narrow room, cylindrical-shaped, so much like that, if we hollowed out that chapstick tube you got there, uh, Bryce, mm-hmm. lined with what looked like translucent translucent plastic chairs molded to the shape and size of human bodies. So How think ergonomic. of the scenes. I know. Think of the scenes in like action movies where everyone's like going to jump out of the plane and all the like mercenaries or like Navy SEALs are all shooting the shit and like teasing, yeah. you know, like teasing each other and then they you know they're all lined up against the wall of the bomber or whatever and then they have to jump out of the ship that's kind of what this room looks like there's four chairs on each side facing each other with this tread going in between the chairs and also the scary oh and they have some sort of light or aperture hanging by an arm up coming up the back of the chair and hanging over them you know, like a lamp, like a desk lamp, or, you know, when when I, I don't know if they still have, but like when my mom used to go get her perm, you know, there was like a big thing that hung right. over, yeah. The, yeah, over yeah. the chair. Um, so there's. So is this but, like an intergalactic waiting room or? Well, I don't. Th- this might not even be. This might actually be like a limbo in between dimensions uh, that prepares you for the next dimension okay so i think it is actually kind of like a jump i think this thing is going to be like a jump seat and you'll see why also i just want to note and betty noted it too the implications that these chairs did seem to be built for humans and not aliens right Right. yeah it's designed for human interaction so it's yeah they've done this before yeah yeah So the Greys led Betty to a seat that looked slightly different from the others. This, she realized, was because this one, unlike the others, had a form-molded cockpit hatch swung open, waiting to receive her. All the other seats had their hatches closed. Betty eyed the contraption nervously, and one of the beings sent her a telepathic message. Will you please be seated? What is this going to do? Please be seated. We will not harm you. Betty was placed in the seat, 
and the cover was lowered over her, sealing her off from the atmosphere of the room. So this is like, now she's like an action figure wrapped in plastic, okay? Wow. The beings then inserted three tubes that were hanging down from the ceiling into the head of the apparatus. She's got a tube going up one nostril, a tube going up the other nostril, and a tube like a scuba tube in her mouth. Okay, I would not do well. I would not do well here. This is (laughs) this is where this is where a little panic for old Bryce Johnson might start to set in. And I might ask for a a Vicodin or some type of, uh, you know, you know, the you know, the 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 Finding Nemo submarines at Disneyland. Right. Uh This is 10 times worse. (laughs) The claustrophobia level is at the max through the roof. And Betty is starting to freak out. I mean, what the fuck? They could be doing anything here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. The uh, they put the tubes, they're like, close your eyes, do not open your eyes. Again, it seemed like later it would come out, it seemed like they were controlling her eyes, but they were like, you do not want to open your eyes for this next part. Again, <laughs> terrifying to hear, not reassuring, yeah. And the apparatus began to vibrate, and it was pumped full of a warm watery watery like substance which i think we just that's a quote but we could just call it liquid i think watery like substance <laughs> just liquid <laughs> and betty was freaking out she's like i'm going to drown i'm going to drown i'm going to drown in here and the beings are like you're going to be fine you'll be okay we're going to make sure you can breathe and this stuff starts filling up this t- little sealed up plastic throne she's in and suddenly betty's like oh shit this feels good oh oh it's soothing it's relaxing oh it feels good like a whirlpool vibrating sound and i can breathe all right because i'm breathing through my mouth and through my nose through those tubes wow it's like being back in the womb kind of you know Oh, yeah, very womb-like. Next, the beings pumped a sweet, syrupy substance through her mouth tube, telling her that it was important (laughs) for her to swallow it. Betty said the experience was relaxing and that the syrup, just about a spoonful in total, tasted really good. And it didn't even make her stomach upset, which pancake syrup had a tendency to do, so she was... (laughs) She's happy. She was, she okay. was a person, not a food person. All right. Well, it could be worse. I mean, yeah. Mouth tube. <laughs> yeah. She's good. Up in the watery like substance. Uh, yeah, it she could was be like, worse. Again, again, with each turn, she's like sending the thought, what is this going to do? What is this going to do? And they're like, you're going to be all right. You're going to like some, this. Yeah. <laughs> Just and she's make like, sure this, to swallow. She's like, this part's great. After some time in the immersion chair, the vibration ceased and the fluid drained out of the apparatus. The beings returned and Betty was allowed to open her eyes. The two greys standing before her now had a single black cloth draped over each of their heads. Nope. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> no thanks. So That's cute. the first thing you see after going through that. Like, what the yeah. fuck are the what now? What is going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. 
Betty was ushered out of the apparatus and placed over the track once again. And remember now, we talked about last week, single file, everybody. There's always a gray in front and a gray behind her. Hmm. And once again, like I said, ranged in single file. Uh, and the unlikely trio floated along the track to the opposite end of the cylindrical hallway of the chairs into another dark tunnel. As they passed through this new tunnel system, Betty remarked how the black cloths over the being's head in front of her, or the black cloth, I should say, in front of her blended in with the dark surrounding darkness, making it almost appear headless. The walls surrounding Betty looked like stone that had been chipped away, not unlike how one might picture a coal mine. So these hoods, not sure what they're for at this point. Yeah. Uh, they might be some sort of atmospheric deterrent, which we'll get into shortly. But this idea of them suddenly having these like missing heads as they're going through is really weird. It feels very theatrical. It almost feels like, Bryce, I'm sure you're thinking of this word. It almost feels like some type of initiation is taking place. Yeah, hmm. that's pretty strange. Yeah, that, you know, that's interesting. This occult, it almost feels ritualistic, putting the cult, the, the hood, the occult hood a, over their heads. Yeah, sort of a death rebirth type thing, you know? And I got to ask, are they underground? Are they even in outer space? Like this, or like this idea of like, is it possible that this ship has gone somewhere deep within the earth and this is where this is happening? And Betty's investigators had the same question for her. And later she was like, I was not, she said, my feelings were that I was not on the earth, but mm. I was also inside the earth at the same time. And she kept going, I don't know how that makes sense. And the guys were like, well, maybe it's sort of like a hidden pocket dimension inside of our earth somewhere you know yeah or or another idea could be you know and and, and this kind of came from john mack's book he had this idea that uh you know perhaps these beings have these this capability to abduct one's mm -hmm. consciousness you know so as opposed mm -hmm. to like the actual yeah. physical body they can take your consciousness and then at that point you would feel like you're not on this earth but you're still in this earth you well, know what i mean I, yeah. I agree, and there's going to be some hints in this that that might be the case, and mm. also that would explain, I think, like, let's say, let's even, like, crystallize it a little bit more and say that they abduct your astral form, right? Sure, same thing, right. yep. Your yeah. spirit, you know, or mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, then that could also explain for some of the dreamlike qualities that take place and are about to take place as we're going to get into right. but I, I i kept when i was researching this part i kept thinking about too how all the celtic fairy stuff talks about the fairies living in a realm under a hill or under a mound or underground and when you would go into the fairy realm you would go under the earth and right. there they would feed you you would take you know you were supposed to not eat the food they gave you and here we have an example of them making her eat this sweet almost fairy-like sweet substance you know yeah. so this is this is all firing off things that we've talked about over the past 240 episodes yeah and, and then it's something. interesting too to wonder so if if it is like 
they're abducting a consciousness, but then there's so much emphasis on doing tests on her physical body. And then so you wonder, like, what's the... Like, right. if, you, if, you, if you have someone's true sort of the root of their consciousness, can you also project the physical body that that consciousness resides in? Like, it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about those lines there. I mean, I think so. I, I mean, in that in that sort of lucid dream state, you, you certainly have, uh, you know, the ability to fly and feel ethereal. But at the same time, if you look down at your body, you can see it, you can feel it. Sometimes when you even feel like other people or other things or other other people, <laughs> I've done that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, fe <laughs> it, it feels it feels real, you know what I mean? So you could feel like you're being operated on and and have all those sort of visceral, tactile sensations that you would get from, you know, like an operation. Right, well, right. And that would imply that your consciousness has like an awareness on some level of like every cell in your body. Yes. You know, because if it's abducted, then they can they can see, you know, and do actually do like a medical test on a physical body. It's like a cool thought. I love well, that idea that every cell is, is conscious. Mm -hmm. I think you guys are onto something because we're going to get into this in a little bit. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but they talk about how the alien tech that's been on display for her is spiritual tech. It's yeah. of the spirit. And so there, it might be some sort of, again, remember last episode when they like replicated the Bible and passed it along to one another? This might be some sort of highly advanced virtual or augmented reality tech that is somehow tapped directly into the consciousness of the, mm -hmm. uh, I want to say, I don't, observer or abductee. So, mm -hmm maybe that's how they gain access to our physical world is through the consciousness realm or the astral realm. And, and like Riley is saying, they, if they have an astral augmented copy of your body, maybe they can perform actual physical effects on your body. That's back in your house, laying in your bed or flows frozen in your living sure. room. Yep. Perhaps they're not Love even this. in the house with you. They're just right. augmented projections and she's not even seeing them until she's all the way in the ship or in this tunnel, or maybe she's never fully seeing what these things look like at all. You know, they're mm -hmm. all just some sort of holographic projection of some kind, you know, I mean, I'm throwing around a lot of different tech here, but I, I, <laughs> I, I but that to me makes a lot of sense. And, and it also makes sense on a, technological scale if we were to go 2000 years 4000 years in the past and show them our fucking phones and <laughs> had the ability to use them in the past which we really wouldn't they'd be right. like look at this magic mirror thing that is like bringing up they they would only be able to describe it in terms that they had context for right absolutely yeah so where were we as they passed through this new tunnel system, Betty remarked, oh yes, about how their heads disappeared. Throughout this whole entire experience, Betty felt her body weighed down and out of her control. The track started up an incline, heading towards a glass mirror-like wall. At first, Betty thought that they were going to collide directly into the wall, but was surprised that they passed easily through its silvery surface into an altogether alien realm. Now, 
But by this point, I think it's safe to say that wherever Betty was, she was no longer inside the craft. This is mm -hmm. like beyond beyond. Now she found herself quite literally through the looking glass in a very strange world. Betty described this place as having an atmosphere which vibrated with the color red. And this thing, the red was just everywhere. It permeated everything. And the um, even the black cloth, the black cloth on the heads of the aliens still looked dark, but there was like a glint of the red in it. And it reflected off of their silver jumpsuits. Everything was red except for the track, which they still glided along, hovering just above its surface. So this track is running through this, like this moving sidewalk is going through these realms. Betty could see buildings, square buildings with openings, circular openings, which, which appear to have the texture of stucco or cement. There was no vegetation in sight, just a desolate red atmosphere composed of barren land and buildings. So this is kind of like Mars in the movies or the scene in Blade Runner 2049 where Gosling goes to, to Vegas. Like this is a very sci-fi totally. atmosphere. But remember, this is all like late six, you know, this all happened in the late sixties. The hypnotic sessions happened in the late seventies. Not a ton of modern, this wouldn't necessarily be like a modern like Star Wars, I she's probably not even seen Star Wars yet. It's like Star Wars just came out, so yeah. um, unlike I mean, this whole thing is so surreal. Like going through the giant mirror into this like red world. That's it's not it's not just red; it's vibrating red. Yep. Like yeah. it's just very it's very trippy. And she said it was kind of like a thick, foggy, misty red color, but everything it's like that's what the sky was. She can't see a horizon. It's just. No vegetables, no no vegetation, no vegetables. Um, just just this barren landscape. So now we arrive, fellas, at my favorite part of the whole story: the alien monkey creatures. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Betty, they start to pass through an area that is surrounded by tiny little, like two foot tall, one to two foot tall creatures. Um, they are. The, the horrified uh that they're these <laughs> buildings are crawling with these monkey creatures that have no heads just two stalks growing out of their shoulders with big black eyes on the end of each stalk oh my god nightmare these beings are they got got two eyeballs and there are loads of them oh they are scary and they've got skinny arms and legs and kind of a full body and their eyes can move every which way and they can climb just like little monkeys. Ugh, they're all over the place. As they passed through the swarm of googly-eyed monkey creatures, Betty asked her hosts what they were, but her questions went unanswered. The alien monkeys simply watched as Betty floated past and a relief rushed through her when her crew moved through them unharmed. Now, I know I later in the book you get an explanation for what these things are. Oh, really? And I thought yeah. I might tell you here, but I think I'm going to save it for a little bit later. Ah, okay. Okay. But Just building that tension. Do either of you guys want to give a guess as to what these things are? And I'll uh... show you a picture from the book. And again, I hope you're following our Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club. 
um, because I'm going to post some but of like these. Like any answer oh. would make sense anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> well obviously. <laughs> so this is what they look like. You can see this. And these were all of Betty's. She was a good artist. These were wow. her eyewitness that. drawings. Look at these little things. Whoa. They're like Are they like little monkeys. androids? <laughs> they do look like sea monkeys. Yeah, yeah. they're kind of like little froggy monkey things. Take huh. a look at them. Androids, that's a good guess. Yeah, like little worker right. drones. Might be right. Bryce, do you have any guess what the monkey creatures are? Not a clue. Just more nightmare fuel. Right. <laughs> so as they passed through the swarm of googly-eyed monkey creatures, uh, they came upon a circular green membrane that led them into a new realm. They passed through this like thick, circular another kind of wall or mirror that Betty went on to describe as a force field. And she thought that this force field might be separating these two areas. There was the red area we were just in, and then they come into a green area. The air is filled with the color green. You know, I'm just Very thinking like, this is, this is why people don't talk about this shit, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Vibrating yes. red mist, little monkey people, yes. headless hallways. You're like, okay, I'm yes. not even going to fucking try to explain this to my no. children. <laughs> don't think that I didn't think that we, I, we were going to get to this point and people are going to be like turning off this episode. But this yeah, is like, what we're talking about yeah. with high strangeness. This is like, yeah. this is what we're actually fucking talking about about once they crossed through into this green area the grays removed the black hoods from their heads and continued along the track with their heads exposed and this made her go eh, maybe the black was to protect them from whatever was in the red area didn't give it to her but maybe the grays <laughs> were like we can't we can't be here right um, now i have another theory that we'll talk about later as for betty she found no discomfort in the environment beyond what she was seeing. She could easily breathe in the atmosphere. And the track ascended into the green sky and Betty's breath was taken away by how beautiful this new landscape was. It's beautiful here. Oh, it's so beautiful here. And we're still along the thing. And now that we are in the green atmosphere, they are taking off those black hoods and going along and it seems like mist or sea or something off to the side there it's beautiful and we're like on a narrow narrow passage of land and we're gliding across it and off to the side i see i, I don't know if they are fish or what it looks like a combination of fish and bird and it seems like it's haze all over and fog, and yet it's so light, I can see it. And we are going someplace. I don't know where it is up ahead, but it seems that we are going someplace. The track guiding Betty and the beings coasted up into the sky. Betty could see the glimmer of a city appearing off in the distance. Suddenly, they came to a halt as the track paused for a large white birdfish that swooped across their path. Riley needed to give it a good like <laughs> Yes, the alien birdfish call, of yeah. course. I know exactly what that sounds like. 
The procession restarted and Betty looked down to see a pyramid-like building below. And she described it as being not a three-sided pyramid, but the structure did come up to a point. But it was almost as if you laid out a star and built a pyramid from the base of a star. So a jagged... Yeah, I feel you. You know, it's not technically a pyramid, but you know what I'm saying? So in your mind's eye, build that, right? Now, cut it from the tip down, just the tip, down <laughs> and so there's a flushed half where like this the the part that you cut away would be and then a remaining part that just has like two or three prongs of the star sticking out right cool yeah so she sees this and then at the very point of that she sees a head that's sort of a human like sculpture head that she said was sort of like the sphinx but it had 11 cheeks and she kept getting the impression look i mean this is like a fucking hr giger this is like out of like jordowski's dune right uh -huh, she yeah. sees she kept she they're like what is it what is it she's like it she kept she kept going that this this thing had the face the head looked to be both male and female it it so gender it turns out is literally a construct guys it <laughs> proven she by was like, it, yeah it's not she's <laughs> like it's not the sphinx it's not a man it's not a woman it's both it's she kept saying it's both male and female she's like she sounds like she's inside david bowie's head right now yes seriously <laughs> beyond that star pyramid off in the distance betty could see a big city with tall buildings and domes connected by bridges against the green sky it looked like something straight from the artwork off a 1970s science fiction paperback. And that's how she was like, this is like, I'm seeing science fiction-y stuff here. So cool. Soon, Betty came upon a glittering, hovering, crystalline structure. And I'm coming before a light, a bright light, crystals, bright, bright light, and clear crystals that have rainbows all in it. It is all crystal all around all forms of crystals i don't know what it is i'm afraid i want to go back and the bright light up ahead oh i want to go back oh they're taking me through these crystals that bright light is up ahead. oh that bright light we're stopping and the two beings are getting off the thing and i'm just there before the light inside the prism structure the grays having now left her side Betty was brought before a large illuminated bird. Now, <laughs> of course, before, yeah. yeah. But let's before we say, hey, this is getting really off the rails. Remember, if you will, last episode when the beings first appeared in her house, they were wearing navy blue uniforms with like bright blue highlights. Mm -hmm. And on the shoulder, their shoulders was an insignia. Do either of you remember what the insignia was on the shoulder? It was a phoenix, wasn't it? It was like yeah, a, it was bird. a bird. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, yeah. it was like a yellow bird on the sh on their shoulder patch, right? Amazing. Cool. So this the massive... Quasga Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
A massive bird stood there with its wings spread, radiating heat that was almost unbearable to Betty. She described the bird under hypnosis as an eagle, but like Riley said, it soon became clear that what Betty was standing before was a 15-foot-tall mythological phoenix. This rules so hard. Yes. Yeah. And here's how we know this. As Betty stood before it, the giant bird burst into flames, which grew so hot that Betty felt as if the flesh on her skin was melting off. She said this was the most painful part of the entire experience. Like she, she was like, it's too hot. I got to get the fuck out of here. She didn't say that because she was a good Christian woman, but like she, she was like, it's like the in Dune when Paul Atreides puts his hand in the box and he's he feels the flesh melting off, but it's all just fear, right? And he takes his hand out and of the Gom Jabor and it's like fine. It's all it's all intact. Right. And then in a flash, the Phoenix bursts into a a, a golden flames, the bird vanished, and uh it's punctuated with with golden confetti sparks floating all around and Uh Betty was totally okay and where the 15 foot (laughs) bird once stood was now a small fire and the sweet scent of of scent of burning incense hung in the air and as the flames died down Betty is looking at the ashes and she starts to see the pile of ashes like like bubbling up and squirming and out of the ashes comes this large fat worm slinking its way out of the remnants yeah. oh i hope they're God. playing slayer in the background you know what i mean like dude totally suddenly a voice spoke to betty You have seen, and you have heard. Do you understand? No, I don't understand. I don't even understand what this all is or why I'm even here. I have chosen you. For what have you chosen me? I have chosen you to show the world. Are you God? Are you the Lord God? I shall show you as your time goes by. Okay, so reminder, Betty, fundamentalist Christian. Uh, And now we have this alien abduction that is quickly morphing into some sort of dreamlike religious experience. Even the symbology of the phoenix was once used by early Christians as a symbol of death and resurrection. And there are are connections to, I mean, the, the connections to alchemy and the achievement of high states of being and its connection to ancient Egyptian culture. So we're getting all of this, which I, I would argue. I was going to even say like bringing someone before the maker too, like at St. Peter guarding the gates, the, like yes. the two alien beings, like guiding you to the, to the main thing. And then, you know, that's really what it's, that's how she's interpreting this experience. And if you remember when the gray showed up in her house last episode, she's like, okay, they must be angels. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So listen to this. This is in the Andreasen Affair. Um, The Collier Encyclopedia adds that the phoenix figures prominently in early Christian art 
and literature as a symbol of immortality and resurrection. Sacred in ancient Egypt, the phoenix, which is always male uh, and had a beautiful red and golden plumage, was fabled to live for 500 years or longer. At the end of that time, it built a nest from twigs of spice trees. Remember, there was the smell of uh, (laughs) incense uh, in the air, to which it set fire. Both the bird and its nest were consumed in the flames, and out of the ashes, a worm emerged from which a new phoenix would would emerge. That's the part that that most of us don't know about. Most of us just think that phoenix is born again out of the ashes. It first comes out as a worm. I'd never heard that before. I didn't know that. That's that's very interesting. Here she is witnessing it, or at least describing it under hypnosis. So even if we're going to pause here and say, okay, this shit didn't happen. This is some, <laughs> this is some thing, you know, right. The fact yeah. that she's even tapping into like deep Jungian archetypes that she mm-hmm. was uh, for, from all, from all sources, not aware of, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. But it's like a universal remarkable. mythology that she's tapping yeah. into. Yeah. That alone is pretty fucking cool. Totally. Yeah. Betty went back and forth with the voice for a bit, trying to pull answers out of it, asking why she must wait to learn what this whole experience was about. With each question, and this is true, like I said, with every question, as she asked both to the greys and the voice, Betty received vague answers that left room for interpretation. Finally, the voice told Betty that the time for answers to her questions would come and that she must just have faith in that. Betty responded that what she had faith in was Jesus Christ. The voice then told her, We know, child. We know that you do, which is why you have been chosen. I am sending you back now. Fear not. Be of comfort. Your own fear makes you feel these things. I would never harm you. It is your fear that you draw to your body that causes you to feel these things. I can release you. But you must release yourself of that fear through my son. Boom. Through my oh, son. Okay. Betty's like, all right, now we're talking something that I'm I can relate to. So <laughs> yeah, believing speaking her language. Now, but I also wonder too if son, it's it's interpreted in the transcript as S-O-N. It might also be S-U-N because the phoenix was also the symbol of sun gods, of which Jesus Christ is the sun god. He's a resurrection god, all these, you know. Right, so, yeah. So, again, all this stuff. So, believing this to be a confirmation that this was, in fact, the voice of God, Betty started weeping and giving praise and thanks to him. And with that, an invisible force turned Betty back around and she proceeded to retrace her path down that moving track out into the crystalline structure where she was rejoined by the two alien greys in silver jumpsuits back out across the green landscape with the city in the distance and the weird star pyramid with the 11 cheeked uh, non-gendered head through the circular membrane dividing the two green and red zones down into the red zones red zone with the buildings and the bug-eyed alien monkey creatures through the dark tunnel system and finally back into the cylindrical room with the plastic chairs 
Jeez. Betty was placed into her chair where she was once again connected to the tubes, sealed up within the transparent hatch. She was fed another spoonful of sweet, syrupy, yummy goodness through the tube and flushed with that pleasurable warm liquid surrounding her. After some time, the apparatus was drained. Betty was bathed in a, in a purple light that emitted from the fixture positioned over the chair. So another maybe detoxing or cleansing thing right you know mm -hmm. sounds like uv yeah yeah dude i feel uh, like exactly. martin scorsese could shoot the hell out of this scene oh, like it's sure. very cinematic this whole thing <laughs> yeah, yeah like it kind of sounds it's also it's like a nine inch nails music video you know this whole right, sequence right. <laughs> dude we gotta get ari aster to do an alien ab a fucking alien abduction movie i feel like he would fucking crush this yeah yeah so one of the greys came over and produced two glowing white orbs. One was a little bit larger than the other and led Betty out of the room, back into the room, connecting the light bath pedestal from last episode and the retractable lightning hatch. There, Betty was once was reunited with Quasga, who told her, Child, you must forget for a while. This part is also super creepy. Quasga stared into Betty's eyes and she watched in wonder as one eye glowed white and Quasga's face began to morph. And she describes it looking like a bee, that there's something about the quality of him that she feels like she's staring at a large bee. Two deep creases formed in his brows, which gave the impressions of him having feelers or antenna like a bee and his almond-shaped eyes formed large circles, one white, one black, as he stared deep into Betty's mind. Yeah, man. Don't wow. be squishing says, those bugs out there, people. <laughs> he says he's going to give me formulas. And he says until man finds those and understands those, he will not give any others. He says my race won't believe me until much time has passed. Our time. They love the human race. They have come to help the human race. And unless man will accept, he will not be saved. He will not live. All things have been planned. Love is the greatest of all. They do not want to hurt anybody. But because of great love, they said, because of great love, they cannot let man continue in the footsteps he is going. It is better to lose some than lose all. They have technology that man could use. It is through the spirit, but man will not search out that portion. So, whoa. Yeah. Like, a lot of hope and then a subtle threat of genocide if we don't get our shit together. Yeah, it's pretty loaded in there <laughs> in the subtext. Yeah, and she was like, "Well, how come man won't accept this stuff?" And Quasca was like, "Cuz man is too hung up on duality, too hung up yeah. in the physical realm, not thinking about love, not thinking about spirituality like man." And they keep saying throughout this stuff and later um in other sessions she did later this message of like the aliens trying to tell human beings, guys, it's really simple. Mm -hmm. All the answers you need, it's so simple. It's just love. Just go towards that. 
go towards love. That's all you fucking need to do. And the message is if you guys can set aside all of this bullshit, all this duality, all this binary thought, all this war, all this violence, and just go towards love and acceptance, that is going to, that's the key to being accepted into this higher universal community. That's what it, that's basically what this message is that keeps coming through. I love yeah. that. The universal wisdom is just be chill. And if you're going to turn into war raging nuke monsters, we're going to take you out. So you can't spread <laughs> this to other, other corners of the universe. Right. Ooh. Then you can't come to the alien hippie interdimensional <laughs> Phoenix yeah. God party. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is the way. This is this is the Western way. We 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 are uh, we are entranced by our technology, and we are we have left spirit behind. You know, there's still a lot of indigenous cultures that haven't that have held on to it. But you know, for the most part, you know, Western civilization seems to be running amok with these ideas that that there is mm -hmm. no spirit, that uh, that consciousness is an epiphenomenon created by the brain alone, and we're all just living in a materialist world and. And yeah, I I could see us gone going down the wrong escalator. You know, it's like, yeah, it's wild, man. Mm. If you know, look, I, I, reading those John Mack books, Passport to Cosmos, and and I haven't read Abduction, just bits and pieces. The, they all have the same elements, all of them. Every abduction case, uh, we're screwing with the planet. Uh, there's always a spiritual element to it. And, uh, y y you know, and it, it says there's there's always a message of hope, you know, mm -hmm. but we're close. We're at the precipice, you know, and uh, <laughs> we're it, pushing it. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're pushing it, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. It, I mean, it really is. It's this uh, I don't know, this sort of idea of like a, a holistic technology or, or, you know, that almost that, you know, like nature is a technology or technology comes from nature and and we've sort of gone in a different path and gone against nature but maybe like the true kind of wisdom is is using our technology to like like you said like heart uh just like love and harmonize and be chill basically yeah, yeah. so betty believed that quasga was locking hidden knowledge within her mind along with the secret that they the greys were going to come to earth one day finally he let go of Betty's mind and told her, Go, child, and rest. A door opened and Betty was led out of the craft directly back out into the backyard of her own. Of Take her a home. mental health Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Call into work and take a sick day. You're going to need it. <sighs> it was still nighttime and it was still foggy. The Greys, still dressed in their silver jumpsuits, guided Betty back into her house, cradling the glowing white orbs the whole time. Once they re-entered the house, Betty saw that her dad, Wahoo, well, or sorry, Wayno Ahu, was still frozen in the kitchen. Now, I also want to apologize for not being able to remember the term Scandinavian last week. That's how full of, of <laughs> garbage my brain is right now. Her parents are Scandinavian. Right. Yep. Uh, uh, he was still frozen in the kitchen pantry, and her mother and the children were still frozen in place in the living room. Using the glowing orbs as some kind of remote control, the Greys guided Betty's family members one by one down the hall and into their bedrooms, awakening them from their suspended animation, but still keeping them in a daze. 
The beings told Betty that her children and the and her parents had not been harmed while she was away and that they were going to put her to rest. They also told her that they were leaving the blue book. Remember the blue, the thin blue book that Quasca sure. gave her? They were yeah. going to leave that. They were going to leave it with her in her possession for the next few days. Or actually, I think they said for some time. Yeah, it's Quasca's screenplay. He's like, just yeah. when you get to it. <laughs> so, you whenever know, you get around to it. Just if you could send some notes. It will <laughs> automatically delete itself after a week and a half. So I'll That's know if you great. read it or not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Betty turned to one of the beings and said, what is your name? Joe Hop. Joe Hop? What is this all about? You will see as time goes by. And what about that blue book there? Is that for me? It is given to you for a while to grasp as much as you might grasp from it. There is writing there that will be discerned only through the spirit. And it is the writing of light. It can be understood only through the spirit. The other writing upon that it is for man to seek and find out. There are formulas, riddles, and poems, and writings. For man to understand nature, for he too is nature. He is formed from love, and love is the answer for man. Using the glowing orb, Joe Hop floated Betty back to her bedroom and placed her in her bed. Almost immediately, Betty succumbed to a sweet, heavy slumber. At long last, Betty's experience had come to an end. The next morning, Betty woke to find the rest of the family already stirring and making breakfast. Neither Betty nor her eldest daughter, Becky, who also participated in the investigation, remembered much about the events of the previous night, at least not at first, nor did they remember going to bed. They all sort of accepted it and seemed to just have a vague sense of something entering the house the previous night. They're not sure what. Now, she did remember the pulsating light and uh, in the backyard coming through the kitchen windows. And in the coming months, she noticed how the grass on the hillside behind her home had died in a particular spot and would not grow back. A few years later, memories of the beings and the greys and Quasga started to slowly come back to her. And that mm. was when she was like, I need to reach out to J. Allen Hynek and find out what the fuck is going on with me because over time, these repressed memories were, were coming back to her. Her father, Wayno, also had vague memories of the beings. Uh, when she eventually tried speaking about it to her parents, both of them said they did not want to discuss it. Uh, they didn't want to talk about the possibilities of being visited by alien creatures because that was in the realm of the occult and something they avoided altogether as faithful Christians. And in fact, she told her mom that a UFO man wanted to talk to them, and her mom was like, I don't want a UFO man here. She thought she meant a literal man from a UFO, and she meant, <laughs> she meant a, a UFO investigator. Oh, that's great. But what about that blue book? Well, under hypnosis, after this story was recounted, uh, Fowler and the Edelstein and the investigators wanted to find out, wait a minute, you said that we've, we heard that this blue book was left here. And while Betty had no conscious memories of reading the blue book under hypnosis, she revealed to Dr. Edelstein and the investigators that about three days after the event, Betty came or Becky came to her, her daughter, and told her that she was having strange dreams about funny little men coming into their home. 
Betty shushed her daughter and brought her into her bedroom where she had hidden the blue book. And they looked through this thing together. Uh, and Betty had been like over the week after like going to the book, looking through it, hide, like almost like the family would leave and she'd scurry over and like get the book out and look at it. And she has no memories of doing this. <laughs> Love that. Whoa. And the book again, under hypnosis, she's like, it's got all these strange symbols. It's got all these weird hieroglyphs. And they really were like unable to glean any real meaning from it. Um, and then one day it was just gone. And they, the investigators were like, well, they did say that they were going to leave it for a while. It wasn't going to be there forever. And she's like, that's true. And then this is a story for another time, perhaps. Um, but during the hypnosis regressions, when they were trying to get more information about the book, they felt an alien gray presence drop in through Betty in the session and basically no. cock block the investigators Whoa. from finding anything else out about about the book or Betty's experience. Trippy. Betty was like, wow. oh, they're here. They're here and they're listening and they want to talk to you guys. Really, really. And it was basically like, I'm not telling you anything. I'm not telling you anything. I'm not telling you anything. It was wow. really, really weird. We have already optioned that book. Yeah. <laughs> Please do not yeah. proceed further. <laughs> you will be in contact with our lawyers. <laughs> that, uh, dear listeners, is the abduction of Betty Andreasen, an odyssey like no other we've told on BCC. There are, like I said, a few dangling threads and theories and more experiences that happen to Betty after this. She married a man. She got divorced. She married a guy who also had alien experiences and the two of them would go on to be abducted again together. Mm. Um, and I'm considering unpacking some of those episodes or uh, Betty's episodes, not our app, not multiple episodes for us, but I'm thinking about going over some of that material in a coda episode. Oh, I'd be interested uh, likely, in that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe next week over on the other side, but for mm. now, I just want to turn to you boys uh, and Riley, we tend to throw this back to you first. I got to ask you, what the hell was that? I mean, well, first of all, just a, a cinematic visual splendor, like this <laughs> world that she went through. Like, I feel like I can see it so vividly in my head. Very, very well told. Uh, but I am left. Uh, what are the tiny monkey bug eyed things? You Thank teased you. that you knew what those are. And I'm, I'm dying glad, to hear an explanation. I'm glad you asked me. Well, in I can't remember exactly which session it came out in, but Betty eventually learned, I think on the way out, she found out that those monkeys were basically some sort of engineered beings that grew the black eyes that were replacements for the alien greys that's where they got their their eyes that they were basically just eye organ don't uh, organ donors Whoa. for the great so what that, that is okay that was their, their purpose little, oh that's which I, I which makes really me there. like a sunglass hut yeah <laughs> <laughs> an alien sunglass hut exactly and that <laughs> makes me think 
again, going back to our Roswell three-part series, that these greys are some kind of bioengineered entities created by some other higher intelligence that are built, built specifically to pilot these ships, run these. Maybe they are some sort of spiritual tech that is designed to drop. They are our Mars probes, right? They're, mm. they're, our, they're the probes coming. They are the probes. You know, They are the things mm-hmm. that are coming down here to collect information on humans, but they are some sort of biotech thing. And maybe they... Makes me think the thought I had was, oh, maybe they're covering those black hoods over their heads because they don't want the alien monkeys to see that they're ha- they have their eyes <laughs> in their head. Oh, don't worry about these. These are I, I had these already. Yeah. God. But this idea that it's like bioengineered tech too. They're like growing little creatures to harvest their eyes and like Which is what it, we do. We would do, do that this. For organs, yeah. We're heading there now. We're I mean like for sure. we're already we're all like lab grown meat. Lab yep, grown meat eyes. is about to is about to hit the market. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. that is going to become a viable thing. Like cloned, perfectly healthy, creepy in its. I mean, but any <laughs> is it any more creepy than fucking the nightmare factories of killing all these animals in mass production to eat them? Like say less. Like yeah. we are going to see in the next twenty years how all this stuff is going to start coming into like the commercial marketplace. Um, yeah. All the, all or the even like designer figure. organs that can be grown for yes. you to like replace your heart or your lungs or yes, like, you know yeah. that, or that doesn't seem that far off. They'll grow you like a better pair of yeah ears or no or a better nose or whatever <laughs> or you, you want. Can get like Gucci ears to like yes. replace your yeah. <laughs> it's all coming. Point on them. Yeah. It's absolutely like that is like body augmentation is already happening and it's just and there will get to a point i'm reading a book series now uh the red rising series by pierce brown and like it takes place in the future and in the future like they have mermaids like they bioengineer mermaids they bioengineer mythological creatures now there's like griffins that you can ride around because they're like we just make that shit now we can we know how to like fuck with dna and make it so I think that shit's coming. Like it may I'm not ready be for it. in Bring our it lifetime, let's, but it's let's coming. do it. Let's do nightmare gonna, sci-fi future. It's let's just gonna it's get time. weird. It's gonna get weird. <laughs> Man. Bring it on. Yeah. Man, you know, All there's right. a there's there's a great line in uh in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I which I recently watched. And 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 it's at the moment of the end when the when the ship lands and and the alien creatures are there, and they sort of, you know, the US government had set aside these uh, th- these couple men and women that were going to actually go on board the spaceship, you know, the the people with the quote unquote the right stuff. But the, as the aliens walk by, they really only uh, invite Richard Dreyfus's character Roy Neary aboard because he was invited, you know. And Francis uh, Truffaut, who played Claude Lacombe, he looks over to Richard and, he's based and he on says, "Jacques Vallée." And he's based on Jacques Vallée. That's right. He looks over to him and he says. I envy you. I envy you. And, you know, if you think about it, it's like there's something in common with all these abductees. It can't just be random because what Mm. seems to be happening and it's something very real that's happening. This isn't just this isn't just, you know, 
uh, psycho uh, trauma. This is this is an actual thing that's taking place. Whether it's on another dimension or not, nobody nobody's for sure will ever know. But but uh, you know these people are having an insane opportunity to sort of glance at, meet with, have communion with possibly our creator, you know, or, or, mm. or something of, of a higher intelligence, you know, or, and it's a, it's a, such an incredible opportunity, man. And I don't know, it's so strange. I don't know what to make of it all, but it, it, it certainly is a, is a real thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? Also, Bryce, uh, real quick on well Close said, Encounters. Like did you, did you catch Jay Allen Hynek's cameo? Oh yeah, absolutely, he's, absolutely. He's there, yeah. Pops the right up um, in there, yeah. What do you guys think about the religious aspects of this? There was debate about this in the book. The investigators were going, was this a direct message from a Christian god, or was this the aliens using a motif of Christian Christianity to get through to through to Betty? I mean, I feel like it's like similar to what we've talked about before, where that's the lens that her mind uh, filters this through. So it's like for her, who's like a very Christian person, this comes across as like a very psychedelic religious experience, you know, but like it's kind of like to what Bryce is saying is like whatever the like source of this is, is probably mm. so far beyond human comprehension that this is the way that her mind is able to process it. That's kind of how I see it. Well, and that's one word that that a lot of these abductees use, the source and uh, the creative source, whatever it is. These alien grace seem to be emissaries uh, to bring people to this source. There is a spiritual component to this thing, and you cannot deny that. You, In fact, I... I challenge you to go through any abductee case and not find uh, sort of spiritual elements or motifs or or spiritual uh, lessons learned by the abductees who will say it themselves, you know. So something is happening here, uh, whether we call it God, the source, our creator. Uh, there is a connection to that and the UFO abductee phenomenon. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think uh – it was either Calvin Parker or um, or Charles Hickson who really started to frame what had happened to them as a as some sort of religious experience as well, you know. Right, which gets you to this chicken and egg thing where it's like, is the root of all human religion like whatever this thing is, like whatever right. it's coming from here? Well, and, you know? sure. and she keeps Absolutely. and two, I would say in this particular case, she's the one who keeps bringing up God. They don't really bring up God until she's like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. I, it almost sounds like the voice is like, yes, we know. That's why like you yeah, are a spiritual super, person, yeah. and that's why we're trying to contact you, because you might listen to us, because there are a lot of atheists out there who, who if there was a God trying to talk to them, might say, oh, I just had a fucking bad dream. So why not go yeah. to the religious people who would be open hmm. to these experiences? Well, and you know? the light. Yeah, people the, of faith, people who believe. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. there's Even always that element of the light, literal too. Version and mm -hmm. you know, yeah, the light element, too, is very tied to religious experience and yeah. religious doctrine and dogma. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cleansing Absolutely. your light. It's crazy stuff. It's really wild you know, stuff. We got to wrap it up. This has been a mega two-parter. Again, there's still some stuff to, that we can unpack. We might do that over on the other side next week. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I want to thank everybody for, for listening. 
to this two-parter. Uh, don't forget to click that follow button on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Uh, so you never miss a single episode of BCC, especially when we're we're doing multi-parters like this one. We want to hear from you, so rate and review while you're there. If you drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we might read it on the show like Riley's going to do for you right now. This review is from Sonia Rogers. The best of the weird, a triumph of weirdness among Whoa. my favorite audio companions. I'd give endless stars if I could. Highly recommended. Thank you, boys. And hello from Italy. Five stars. Oh, hello. Nice. Hello. Right on. Endless Thank stars. you, Sonia. Love that. That's a great review. Ooh, that's beautiful. A triumph Thank of you. weirdness is a, a just a just a <laughs> delicious phrase. Yeah, that could oh, be the I name of it. your next album. Now you know one <laughs> yeah. thing I you know one thing I know that our audience is gonna love about this episode. A What's lot that? more there's a lot more Riley in this episode. You know, when we don't have a lot of guest action, we tend to have more room for Riley. Quasga likes <laughs> Riley. Yeah, Quasga loves Riley. Quasgas love Riley. So if you want more Riley and you want more BCC, I recommend you check out our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, where there's a lot more Riley. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. whole tier devoted to him. Uh, you can, at the very basic level, you can unlock three bonus episodes every month. Plus our entire backlog of episodes over there. Uh, we are, I think, including Riley's Cosmic Tier, which just started about a year ago. We have like 258 or 59 drops over there. So guys, like wow. massive catalog, bigger than the current regular feed. <laughs> so if you add it all up, um, we're, we're starting to eclipse the regular show. So head over to patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club and check it out. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club and on TikTok at BCC Pod. And send in your personal paranormal stories to Bigfoot Collectors Club at gmail.com. And I want to let all these kids know, guys, we want your real experiences, not your fun, spooky stories that are fictionalized. Those are great, but we want your true encounter stories that's that's what the l files are for yeah no creepy pasta no creepy pasta well written creepy pasta but we're <laughs> yeah, getting some a lot of it's of very it. good it is very well written I'll but we'll that. Maybe it we out. Can, knock it off we, we can <laughs> yeah. devote you know what i'll say we might devote some patreon episodes or future episodes to creepy pasta but it but we're looking for your real life encounter stories be sure to follow uh, uh me on instagram while you're over there at mcmills bryce riley what do you got yeah, we're over on the socials. Uh, what You said it best, man. Hit us up on the other side, and, and thanks for leaving those reviews, man. I just want to uh, bring it back to the, to the other side on the Patreon one more time, because I, I want to mention that the Discord that we've launched that is a Patreon-exclusive perk is popping off. And yeah. like we're having so much fun with it. We're loving what everyone's posting on there. All these new boards are developing. People are interacting. It's like it's this whole other new ecosystem of the show. Uh, and joining the Patreon, even if you just join it for a month, that'll get you access to the Discord. So it's definitely worth checking out. And then on top of that, uh, on the Cosmic Tier just recently, I just dropped my second full-length album for the year. <laughs> yeah. uh, that is wow. titled Midnight City. And it's this... Uh, cyberpunk kind of love story about the birth of ai uh as told through uh, uh electronic music great uh, it's really good <laughs> thanks, really good man. i'm really trying to earn your dollars over there you guys so and these <laughs> I, these things that i'm dropping are not on spotify they are not on apple music they are only there and i like it that way it's really fun so yeah. if you want to come join us and check out what's happening uh 
jump on it's, the other side. It's honestly the coolest Patreon as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Speaking of which, we're going to cross over to the other side for an impromptu out there discussion suggested by one of you listeners. If we don't see you over there, we'll see you next. We'll see you back here next week for an all new episode of BCC. Until then, good night. And do what Betty Andreasen did and go get regressed. <laughs> going, honestly, I don't know. Eyeball <laughs> You don't want to meet the eyeball with the Phoenix guy. <laughs> Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray and Michael McMillan and scored and engineered by Riley Bray. Our theme song, Come Alone, is by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. Do us a favor and support the show and unlock three bonus episodes every month by becoming a member of our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, which can be found at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.